Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we get to welcome Brett Big Swag Wagner to the show. If you're familiar with Brett, he is the voice of Monster Garage on Discovery Channel and the host of Pastime on the Speed Channel. He's also can be seen as the Lost Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 edition with Jessica Biel. And as one of my favorite horror movies that came out in the two, 2000s as Jesse the Hunter in The Crazies with Timmy Oliphant. He can also be seen in some other genre films and TV shows such as Sons of Anarchy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Angel. John Dies at the End in Chrome Skull 2. So Hannah Montana. Uh, Let's not forget all that good Hannah Montana stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's great to have you on here, Brett. And uh, I know it's kind of crazy now. And before we kind of get into like the minutia of your life and career, with everything going on with like the SAG strike, and I've talked about this with a couple of the guests I've recorded with recently, specifically in your world when it comes to acting and TV shows and everything like that. Like, what are your thoughts on everything going on right now? It's like, where do you see the end game? Where this is going? Well, I mean. You know, uh, we do get paid pretty good as actors and and as writers get paid pretty good. But there becomes a point when, you know, the producers are, especially with the AI trying to start uh, using the artificial intelligence for, you know, they can take our faces. They can, I mean, writing is amazing how they can. I've watched a program where you can. um, Let me get that off here. I've watched a uh, program where you can give it a couple words and in a matter of you know minutes there's like 10 pages written on the stuff you done. i was like wow that's uh that's a little scary because then no one's going to get paid no one's going to get any residuals and you know a lot of people that are actors you know we uh i mean i've been doing this for 30 years i i need those residuals to uh you know whether it's get my health insurance and you know i've worked hard to get all you know i've done over 100 tv films and you know tv and film over 30 years which all that stuff adds up to some residuals and if they want to take that kind of stuff away from folks and just use artificial intelligence it's going to really screw up uh, our business and um you know producers do really well so and all that the producers and the the you know the the studios and all that uh, they they got to figure it out and they got to be fair. And that's why a lot of us go and we still are doing the marching. I try to do a day or two a week if I'm home and it's uh it shows a lot of solidarity right now. So yeah, I, hopefully it's getting fixed. The directors got their deal done really quick and hopefully the writers are going to be next. And then uh, hopefully we get to us actors because I mean, you know, a lot of these people are clamoring and getting a little, angry that their new shows are not on and their old shows. And, you know, it's not just us actors and writers, you know, it's the grips, the electricians, the caterers. My wife does payroll. She has no job right now because, you know, she does payroll for one of the big studios and it affects so many different people, the hotels, the, you know, the, the stores, the, the, the tourism in Hollywood. I mean, everything, it, it just, it affects so much when we go on strike and um, hopefully, 
it'll get fixed shortly. Fingers I, uh, crossed. I recently came across this YouTube channel that will take like it'll basically the AI created Johnny Cash's voice to sing to current songs. And for someone like you, prolific, whether it's voice acting or being an announcer, your voice. It is kind of disheartening that one day they could be like, oh, he's already done all this. We'll just mimic his voice and here's your... It's, it is very scary how the AI is kind of taking over not only the creative aspect, but the actual physical aspect of doing what you guys and girls do. Yeah, and you would and you would never know, right? I mean, you're right. not going to know that sitting at home. So, you know, look, the end game with the folks that are sitting at home is they want to be entertained. They don't know that that's a computer doing it. They don't know that's someone that just typed in a few things and now here's Johnny Cash singing, you know, <laughs> Lady Gaga and all that good stuff. So it's it's tough, and hopefully it could, it's got to get fixed. I mean, you just can't. You're, there's some things AI can do, but when it comes down to it, it's going to be. You need that human interaction. You need that actor there. You, you you need that guy that's, or a woman that's doing the writing because it's. I mean, it's it's not foolproof, right? So right. they may think it is, but you you definitely need that human aspect to it, uh, to make it come across better. So, yeah, it's it's scary, but a lot of good people and our, a lot of good people are on the case, and you can see every week a lot of good people are out there, you know, marching and. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see the solidarity with everybody because I mean we've, I've been doing this thirty years, maybe a little longer, and we've been, had a few strikes, but nothing that's this important right now. So it also seems crazy too, coming out of the pandemic where stuff was shut down for eighteen months to two years already, and then you have this kind of resurgence with all these films coming out, and all of a sudden people. I mean, the other day I was like, oh, I went to go see uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer and Meg too. They always moved. I love the, the cinema. But then you realize in six months, you're going to be catching up and watching everything that's already been done. That was to be a lag. And like a, there's no layover. It's it's just a weird, it's so fascinating. It's just. Yeah, it's, you know, coming out of COVID, all the producers, I mean, they were scrambling. They were shooting so oh. much. And then they were right before COVID too. People were cramming stuff in because they knew that COVID was going to be a, it could be a long time. So the studios were just scrambling to shoot as much as they could. And then they, they got a lot of stuff in and COVID hit and we were, you know, everybody was out of work a year and a half and whatnot when there was nothing new except what they had in the can. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me that they would take the chance now and let this strike keep going while there's nothing being shot. Now there are some, some independent stuff that's being shot. That's, uh, you know, under the SAG interim deal, which is good. Um, so at least some people can get working and there is some new stuff going on. But, um, yeah, the majority, 90, 95% of everything is shut down. So, I mean, how long can you wait? Right. Uh, how long? And, you know, the, the longer you wait, the, the more backlash is going to come from the actors, the crew, and everything like that, and then also the public. So, you know, our president, Fran, is doing her best as far as for acting, and I know the folks on the writer's side are doing their best, and we just, it's got to end pretty soon. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're going into our savings and I'm lucky enough that I can travel around doing some conventions from a lot of the horror movies and stuff that I've been in, but that, that only pays so much. So I was going to ask you, just, I know our mutual friend, Lee Waddell, you guys just were together and when it comes to the conventions, that, that doesn't happen. You're still allowed to do that, right? Like any actor can still do a convention without being tied to or offending the guild, correct? 
Yes, we're allowed to do that. They've already come out and said we can do it. So uh, thank goodness. Uh, right. The convention circuit is huge and alive and running well. And Lee will tell you that it's but I mean, there's certain things we have to do. They don't want us talking about new projects and whatnot, which is fine. And there's other little safeguards we need to do. But uh, thank goodness they allow that to happen because whew, there would be a lot of people that would be Gosh. in really, really deep trouble. I mean, you look at it this way. There's guys that are that aren't acting and, and women that are not acting and haven't acted in 40 years. But 40 years ago, they were in a good movie that was a scary movie or a, just a, a cult classic. And by that, they, are, they uh, can make a living doing four or five or six shows a year, going to these conventions and, you know, as Lee says, kissing posters and signing babies, which is uh, his, uh, great, uh, his great one-liner, which I love and I try to steal. But um, that's what, how these people yeah. make their money. There's no, you know, they could be 75 years old. They're not acting yeah. anymore, which they could be, but they're just, you know, there's something they did 40, 50 years ago and they can still make a dollar on it and, and so thank goodness for the the conventions that we're allowed to do, because then there would have been, gosh, that just would have been another, you know, almost nail in the coffin right there for some folks. Is it weird for you to be at a convention and someone reacts to a, maybe whether a TV show role or a movie role, or even the stuff you do for like the car shows and stuff where you're kind of blown away, like your impact, the, the positive impact you've had on someone's life. Because, I mean, I watched The Crazies, and I love that movie. I think I saw it five times in the theater. I love your character. It's just that, for me, I, I'm just, I don't know. Like, I don't, I love the movie, but I don't have that connection to that maybe character, per se. I love your role that. But when I watch, uh, say, like, Exorcist or the first Freddy or Jason or whatever, I when I see those actors talk, I'm so enthralled by that because it's like I just have that connection with them. Is it weird for you yeah. kind of dealing with that where it's like, holy shit, like I had no idea my this one episode I did on Monster Garage saved this person's life. Like it's got to be crazy. I mean, it's sometimes it's flattering. I mean, I, you get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, Monster Garage was a good example. I mean, a lot of people grew up on my voice because I was the voice of that show with Jesse James, you know, Jesse James up front as the host and he was great. And here I am the voice of the show. I mean, we had a producer, Tom Beers, T-H-O-M. Tom Beers has created everything. Monster Garage, Deadliest Catch, Ice yeah. Road Truckers. I mean, all this cool. Discovery Channel card. staple. Yeah, yeah. for God's sake. So I got lucky enough that uh, I did a Discovery Channel show called Wrestling School with John Cena, Samoa Joe, myself, and a bunch of up-and-coming guys in the business. And I stayed his friend, Tom's friend, because I – just this guy was an incredible producer and I knew eventually something would, would kick off. And he got me that show with monster garage and within a year, you know, that's when I first started gauging how popular my, my, my just my voice or my character was right. I'd call car shows and bike shows and says, <laughs> Hey, I want to come make an appearance at your show. And they go, who the hell are you? Who's the big swag? And I said, well, ask your kid. Does your kid watch monster? Garage? I don't know. Let me go ask him. Oh, the big swag. Yeah. My kid said he loves you. That's just a voice. That has nothing to do with, you know, just imagine, you know, I, I know I've seen how popular Jesse James is and all the stuff he does, but I got a little, a tiny little piece of that over six, seven years of doing yeah. the show, being the voice of it. So it started opening doors for me, you know, on the, and I shouldn't say convention circuit, but the car show circuit, the motorcycle yeah. shows. And, and I got to, uh, I learned how I really had to MC 
you know, I can go up in front of 200,000 people or 100,000 people in Sturgis and BS and introduce bands and do that kind of stuff. Or I could go to a, you know, I could go to a small VFW hall on a Friday night and do a little emceeing yeah. for a, a pro wrestling show. So, yeah, it's sometimes it's great. You know, people will say, I grew up on your voice. And, you know, that's always an honor and, and it's, it's awesome. But, um, you know, or if someone comes up and says, gosh, you, you were on Hannah Montana, my favorite show growing up. And then I asked that 80 year old guy what the hell he was doing watching Hannah Montana. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's flattering sometimes, but it, it's you know it's it's part of the business. I I don't look at it as being like a a celebrity or a celebrity or anything. It's just it's my job. I didn't really learn anything else uh, besides uh, you know I used to do bodyguard work for for bands and I worked every club and nightclub in in L.A. since I was 17 years old, uh, throwing people out of bars and then going on the road with bands and. I mean, that's what I did for a living and trying to become an actor and trying to get acting work during the day and, you know, working the weekends on the road and working the bars and clubs at night. So I had my days free to audition. So, um, you know, I've had some success, I guess, in the in the scheme of things over 30 years. But I, I just look at it that that's my job. I, you know, if I sign an autograph and yeah. get to give someone to take a picture with someone, that's it's very cool. But it's you know, it's no near, it's not, it's not being a celebrity. It's just, that's my, that's what I do. So. Yeah. What led you to have like that career kind of evolve with vehicles and stuff like it, whether characters you play or even the, obviously your voice work and uh, hosting work, is it, was there a part of your life growing up with your family and stuff where you're just surrounded by cars? Like how do you kind of fall into that? Well, it definitely was from, uh, from monster garage. I mean, I loved cars growing up. My dad, and I love drag racing too. You know, my dad would take me to the winter nationals. We, and when I was very, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, we'd go out to Pomona and watch the big drag race events. My dad was a stockbroker and one of his clients was a big race car builder. So we got to go every year, you know, and you're sitting on the track and you're going, wow, this is crazy. And then flash forward, uh, you know, 30 years later, I'm hosting the drag racing show, very popular show on speed channel. And, my father had unfortunately passed away, but I was at that point where I was like, Oh my God, I could, I could call up any track in America and say, Hey dad, do you want to fly? You want to go to this race this weekend? Because dang yeah. it, I could use a little bit of my, my star power just to be able to go do that. But yeah, monster garage uh, opened the, all those doors. And then I would, I would make those phone calls. And uh, one time Rich Christensen who hosted the uh, pinks all out and was a, staple on speed channel said i'm going to give you a show one of these days i really like you and sure enough i got that show pastime so i kind of got off you know off the acting track and was doing that for five or six years and it was very fun i didn't know much about drag racing except i liked it yeah but then that. hosting the show i didn't i just have to be able to bs right i got to know a little bit about it and just be able to guide a show, just like you're doing that we're doing right now, right? right? You're guiding me through the show, asking questions. That's all I had to do for the TV show and be a little funny and poke fun at my diabetic self and that I drove a <laughs> Honda Element. So, you know, uh, I got very lucky, but I'm an in, I, I look at it as I'm an entertainer, right? Same with, you know, we have other jobs we've done, but I, I get out there and entertain. I'm not just an actor. I've, I've done radio shows. I have a podcast myself. I, I'm, I'm the voice of a lawnmower company for 21 years, Bad Boy Mowers. 
Yeah. And um, you just got to do everything. I mean, if you want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I'm not uh, a CPA. I don't know how to do much of anything else except BS and talk. And, and, and that's what I do. So you, you better. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. As it pertains to Monster Garage, as the seasons go on and people, the shows, people, everyone's watching it, right? Do you, how much control, like how's the, the writing process between what you say and the show? Like, obviously, do you have an idea of how that episode is going to go? They kind of, who writes that for you? And how much leeway oh, yeah. do you have to add your kind of, kind of your voice to that writing? So we had, so when Tom Beers hired me, he said, I want your big swag, my pro wrestling deal. Cause that was my character in pro yeah. wrestling, the big swag, the very loud, <laughs> abrasive heel manager, like a Bobby, the brand Heenan or Jimmy Hart. And so when we got that, the first couple of episodes, yeah, like first five, we had to sit there and, the show would be, and I was, I had this guy, Frankie Whiteside, and we had to listen to it and kind of come up with blah, and then rewind and then blah, and then rewind. And after the third or fourth episode, they, the producers just started writing what they wanted. I would be in a studio, the Sabi in the sound, you know, booth, and I'd have my producer there, maybe the guy who wrote it, and we'd go over it, and I would, you know, do it their way. Then they would say, all right, give me a swag it up a little bit, and I would, so... They were very kind to me and let me, you know, throw in my own two cents or throw in my, as long as I, you know, did a run through on it with what they wanted said, and then I could swag it up a little bit, but pretty soon, um, uh, Tom McMahon, one of our producers who's, who passed away recently, he, um, he was really, really big and, and instrumental in my life for letting me kind of be the big swag and kind of let he would say just go go do your here's the script and let's go and he would tell me no or yes that's great or oh i liked how you added that so um he really helped me out and so did tom beers they let me kind of be let me explore what i wanted to do and come up with this crazy character and do a little bit yeah. more and then you know we did some more episodes um, we had a, like a 14 year layoff and just did some more episodes uh, two years ago, I think did about nine new episodes and they, there was no more Tom beers for it. So I had to audition for my old job back, you know, and I said, look at, I took it, you know, they like the discovery didn't know if they wanted me to do it anymore, but Jesse said, oh, well, if we can't swag's not doing it. Then what's, you know, it's not going to be the same, but I got to do the Tom's voice as well. Right. So I got to be, yep. I had to be a little mellow. I had to, which was I was very nervous about because it's much easier being a loud, yes. uh, aggressive guy than trying to be just a normal, very mellow, hey, this is what's going on kind of guy. So uh, I auditioned for it. The Discovery liked it. So I got to do the, you know, eight or nine new episodes and I got to be the voice of the whole show, which was a good experience for me. But yeah, I just think as an entertainer, you got to do everything and um, you throw you know, everything up against the wall and hopefully something sticks. And um, I've always been one that you just never say no. And you just say, sure, let me try it. You know, let's go. What's the worst that can happen? You right. can embarrass yourself or you might learn something cool. Like I never thought I'd do podcasts and I do a podcast called uh, uh, shooting the shiz with DK and the, and the swag with my buddy, John Henderson. And, you know, we, we cover, the conventions and new horror movies and directors and up and coming talent and stuff like that, which is great. It gives a, but it's fun to do. And we don't need much setup. You just you say, Hey, I'm going to interview uh, the, the big man spear talk this weekend. And we just go for it. I'll right. 
you know, you, you just take a shot and you go for it and you don't have to have any expectations, but never say no is, uh, how I uh, was raised. So I just try to do everything once or at least once. I think uh, for me, and I know I speak for a lot of people I'm friends with, like when you watch a show like Monster Garage or something like that, if it the voiceover, the guy that a girl is doing that, it just makes the show much better. And when I had uh, Robert Clotworthy on the, sh- the Spear Talk, the voice of Ancient Aliens and Curse of Oak Island, another voice I grew up with and I got older, I still listen to when you hear his voice. It's like that show wouldn't be the same without someone like him or you doing what you did. And what I found interesting with him, I'm going to ask you the same question. How, like, how do you protect your voice? Like, is there a certain way insurance works with your voice or like, when, especially when you're filming, like how much value you put behind it or you just go to your go day-to-day life and just be like, Hey, my voice is my voice. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you a funny story. One time my commercial agent called me up and said, Hey, they're looking for, uh, they're looking for someone who sounds like the voice of monster garage. <laughs> and I'm like, well, can you call him and tell him that we can give him the voice of Monster Garage? I went in, did the audition, still didn't get it. So I was like, wait a minute, they want me, and I still didn't get this gig. But um, <clears throat> I mean, you just um, as I've gotten older, and when we were filming Pastime, I mean, I'm I'm doing eleven shows. We used to do eleven episodes in two days at a track. Yes. So I do about the first show. We would do the first show. It take me about an hour and twenty minutes make sure everything you know get warmed up and then if we were moving and grooving and there was no oil downs on the track or no accidents i could do about a 50 minute show and then you take a 10 minute break but after the second after the third season you know my voice would start to go so you had to yeah every episode honey and tea you know and there's ways to protect your voice a little bit but as you you just can't yell at 55 i can't yell like i did at 35 so right um yeah there's no uh some of the big guys that do make, you know, a lot of good money doing voiceovers as your friend, who's the voice of a bunch of different characters on TV and cartoons and whatnot. Those guys, uh, they, they get it made. They have good, they probably do have insurance on their voice. They probably do carry a little insurance just to make sure that some, if something ever happens to their voice, those are the guys that uh, will get picked up in a limo and brought to a studio. Yeah. Do the thing. They may take them to lunch afterwards and then return them home in the limo that's a good living that's a great i mean i've never experienced that however i'm still there's still time you know i audition i have a great um agent. i'm blessed to have a very good voiceover agent yeah. so i audition for everything disney you know i mean i audition for marvel a lot of cartoons a lot of stuff it just never has that that my voice just has not hit one of those yet but and uh, i wonder I'm if blessed. it's because people so know what your voice is from that that world of monster garage or like of the, the shows like that where you're kind of like well we like it but it's maybe it's is it possible that some people might get distracted that people would be like they're only hearing you as big swag on monster garage is that like a possible i mean it's it's possible it's absolutely possible but usually with the cartoons and with the the big animated movies they have no idea and there's there's high turnover on stuff like that as far as agents and whatnot and people that are at work at the studio so it's just um you just got to keep doing it and you hope one of them will hit you know i had a friend of mine who uh was the voice of Hyundai for nine years. Now, just imagine that's national commercials all the time. That's doing the little regionals, everything each week, right? You have to, how many Hyundai dealerships are there? Let's say there's thousands. So each week you're, you know, you're doing 
you might be doing 50 commercials a week doing voiceovers. That stuff, you know, when when I first started wanting to be an actor, I said, I just want to do acting. I want to do movies and TV. Who wants to do a commercial? Until I did a first big commercial one time and I made like 150 grand on it. And I was like, I just want to do commercials. That's all I want to do. Who wants to be in a movie when I can right. be a character on a commercial and make $150,000 for one day's work, you know, over a year, you know? But that stuff doesn't happen all the time. That's That's why I say you've got to try everything. And hopefully someone listens to your voice or they yeah. see you and they, they hire you for a commercial or, you know, from you know, they hire you for a series to be a series regular or reoccurring on stuff like that. I mean, you got to stay in the game. It's tough. A lot of people can't have stayed in the game as long as I have. So, yeah, I just been blessed to have done it for 30 years so far and just keep trying to reinvent myself and figure out what the next big thing will be. Whether it comes to voice acting or physically being in front of the camera acting, do you mentally prepare the same way? Like, or is there a certain thing you do one of the way or the other where you're kind of like, eh? No, no. I mean, uh, now TV and film's totally different. Um, uh, that takes a little bit more preparation. I mean, I, I have a, a movie I'm hopefully going to do when the strike is over and hopefully uh, December. And uh, usually when I'm playing a, a bad guy or a thug or whatever it is, oh, light go back on. Um, well, is that all right? Do I look all right? My light one. Yeah, you look, all, um, you look good. When you, um, I, I so I have so, so much dialogue in this script, you know, I'm on like 65 pages out of eight, eight out of 95 that, yeah, you start to panic a little bit. I got to go over these scenes when I'm flying around on the weekends, I sit in my hotel and I, I just go over the script. So that's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of digging into that character voiceovers. It's it's for me, it's pretty simple. It's okay. I know what they want. They'll, especially with a bad boy Moors or whatnot, they'll say, give me medium swag, give me heavy swag, give me light swag, <laughs> you know? So I know yeah. what to do and what not to. And uh, on auditions, if I'm auditioning for a cartoon, it's not a big deal. I just kind of, get it in my head how he's going to sound and then i'll go and, and and i'll go to my uh my buddy's studio in burbank and i'll bang it out real quick and hopefully hopefully they like it so yeah uh, boy, uh voiceover stuff a lot more simpler in my opinion than preparing for a tv show right or a movie especially if you're going to be physical in that tv show i mean i'm 55 years old i i still will do some of my own stunts as long as it's not too much right i hear you the obviously your connection with the horror industry and the horror world with the, the conventions and stuff is it because of your size your voice your look that it's easier for you to jump into that world because it's more believable or is like i mean obviously some of your roles and stuff like besides leatherface like you're behind the, obviously the mask and stuff but is it is it easier for you to play like what's funner for you like playing the good guy or the bad guy Oh, a bad guy's a lot easier to play. I mean, yeah, and your size does help, especially for that roles. I mean, look at I for the crazies, I was no, big just, redneck hunter. I mean, I, I look at I am a I'm a big I just love that as big as that movie was, like the and I still have the magazine of Fangoria is your character in the full makeup is ah. on there. And I was just like, this is just a, a I mean, I say small character, but it's such an iconic, obviously, look. But it's just like that's just such an awesome thing to have. It's like to be that random guy from the movie that gets crazed and becomes like the zombie type creature. 
to be so iconic. It's it's that's rad. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish that movie would have done a lot better. We came out in between Shutter Island and then yeah, it's... we did really well opening weekend. We did like 18 million. I was like, man, this movie's this is great. You know, it would have done then, better coming out of the pandemic because it kind of fits into like everything going yeah, crazy. It it's so close to what this go, yeah, what was going on. Um, but then uh, we uh, after a week after us was Johnny Depp's uh, Alice in Wonderland, so we kind of got stuck with everybody. Oh, Johnny Depp, but um, great movie. Um, yeah, obviously, um, getting the cover of Fangoria is a big deal. Oh, I mean, I grew God. up. Uh, you have, I mean, I grew up being a horror movie guy. That's why I wanted to get into acting. I, I mean, The Night Gallery, uh, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, you know, rom any Romero film. I mean, oh, yeah. Night, Night of the Living Dead, 1967, and then Dawn of the Dead, which is my favorite movie. I mean, I always thought oh, I could be, I could be one of those guys. I want to be a zombie. I want to do this stuff. And then to actually be able to do that stuff is just blows your mind. And then they get to cover a a Fangoria magazine, but like a couple of my friends who've been on numerous covers, like it's the second one's the hardest. And I'm like, Oh man, how am I going to get on the, now I got to get on Fangoria twice. Come on. This is just too much, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it's an honor and a blessing, but yeah, your size does help as far as a course for the more. I mean, I play a badass guy, right? That's a majority right. of what I do. And the size helps. And I, I, I'm real good with comedy too. So the size helps with it being, a large guy with with comedy. I've done a lot of Disney, a lot of the kids' TV shows because they need a big, funny, loud, aggressive guy that understands comedy. And that pro wrestling really helped that. I mean, pro wrestling, doing five years of that really helped me not be afraid of going in a room and acting like a fool because, you know, that's what we do out there. We're acting kind of foolish in the wrestling ring and outside trying to get, you know, whether you're trying to get a thousand people, 40 people or a thousand people to boo you or cheer you. Now you translate that to going into a room with five or six producers. I'm like, hell, that's nothing. I just got 12,000 people and at the shark tank in San Jose to boo me, you know I mean? What's five guys in this room? So it's nothing. So yeah, the, the wrestling helps. The size helps obviously for some of the roles I get. So the uh you talk about the comedy i don't 2003 texas chainsaw massacre i loved it and i think what i love about it is it's so violent and brutal but it's also got when you do that first kill with a sledgehammer it's i laugh every time i watch it even the first time i saw it because it's so brutal yet i sensed leatherface was having fun with it so maybe that's what you kind of talk about where you kind of this vile vile monster dude that has a sense of humor when it comes to the killing. And I, I always found that kind of correlation to horror movies is super fascinating to me. Like these big brooded guys that have fun with killing, like uh, James Drew Courtney in the last couple of Halloween movies. Like some of the kills are so vile and brutal, yet there's a very tongue in cheek, funny aspect about it that I'm just, I just kind of love. Yeah. James is a great, uh, he's good, man. People oh, think yeah. it's really easy to uh, act under makeup and it's just a simple thing where you're just a robot, but it's not, it's, so I got cast as Leatherface 2003. I did the first kill about a day and a half. I got hurt on the movie. So that is the only, that's the first kill is my kill. And then they brought in another guy to finish out the movie. But I did think of a lot of, you know, you're, you're doing what Gunnar Hansen did, did oh, so well. Legendary. So I, the pressure on me, and when I booked it, I had two months to think about it. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, well, you know, you start thinking about it, you overthink it, you stress about it. How am I going to do anything 
close to what Gunnar Hansen did or some of my other friends who are a Mihailov and oh, yeah. some of these other guys and Bill Johnson and Bob Elmore in part two, you know, I'm like, I guess you got to figure out how to do it your own way. And I did really think that he enjoyed doing this. This is what he loved to do. And this is just his, it's his normal routine. This was fun for him. So I'm glad you saw that, that you could catch that, but yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to finish the whole movie and see what I could have put my twist on it. But Andrew, who replaced me, did a tremendous job. And, you know, that that, that movie is probably the most brutal out of all of them. Oh, it's just, and I've had Andrew, I recorded with Andrew, I think last year, a year before that, he was on the podcast and he like he's funny. Like he talked about like, it's like how stuff in life is a lot of luck and right place at the right time. And here he was bummed that he missed out on the movie, but you, uh, unfortunately get hurt and here he is in this role now it's just certain like circumstances like that do you feel that's something that wasn't meant to be or maybe now next time someone gets hurt that they're gonna be like fuck we should have called brett and here you are running with this character again or something like that where it's like because i'm always just like there's a lot of what ifs especially in your industry entertainment where it's like this person was casted they got hurt or they didn't want to do it they turned it down and a lot of regret too it's like how do you kind of filter through all that? Just kind of like getting hurt would be, I'd, I'd be super pissed. Like, how do well, you not, was, how do you not well, let that depressed. affect your career? Okay. I mean, you, oh, I got super depressed. In fact, <laughs> I came home. I, I mean, that was the last time I cried besides in my wedding a little bit. I, I might've cried at my wedding just a tiny bit. Um, but um, yeah, I came home, had to get rid of every single thing in my house. Oh. I, I said, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Didn't want to even, didn't want to see it. Didn't want to think about it. I mean, I was working a week later um, in a movie called Puerto Vallarta Squeeze in Mexico with, uh, uh, gosh, um, Scott Glenn and Harvey Keitel. So, yeah. I mean, I got over it pretty quick in that sense because you just got to keep working, you know. But um, And I never really even talked about the movie until a couple of the magazines over the last five or six years, you know, kept saying, well, you know, there was another guy in that movie that was cast first and then it got hurt. So then I kind of embraced it and you just come to grips with it. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's a part of history, right? I, at least I can say I, I was Leatherface for a week. In fact, I'm writing a book, uh, you know, Leatherface for a week kind of probably would be the working title. But um, it's just you got to get over it. There's it's just like anything in life. You know, you may being a stockbroker, being a lawyer, being a cop, being a fire department. I mean, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have a bad day. And I just happen to have the the bad day at the wrong part of the movie towards the end of the movie would have been a lot better to get heat stroke than, you know, in the a day and a half of filming. But I mean, you just get over it. I, I um, enough people love that kill in the beginning. They give me props and go, wow, that was very brutal. And it was, you know, slamming that I was in so much pain slamming. You have no idea how much pain I was in trying to slam that door because when I got the heat stroke, I went outside, laid down, drank seven Gatorades. I said, I think I'm good to go. Let's let's get back in there after a half hour, you know. I mean, for God's sakes, I was Leatherface. I didn't want anything to happen. Wanted to finish this movie. It was a dream gig. Oh, yeah. And then my muscles in my back, once you get heat stroke or heat exhaustion, your muscles tense up. And I knew that that was, you know, it. I had a few pain pills, took them. They put Eric Balfour. It's not that Eric Balfour is heavy. He's tall and lanky. Yes. Somebody had a skateboard in their car and we put them on a skateboard and I was dragging them that way, but slamming that door shut was, I can't even describe how painful wow. it was. First of all, it was a giant heavy door. It was a huge door. It was so perfect and so beautiful for that scene. 
and I don't even think you get the scope of it um, unless you're right there to see it. But uh, I was in so much pain. And then, you know, this is what people were like, well, I said, that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was leaving in the van with all the cast and then getting dropped off at the hospital. Ugh. That was bad, you know, because then I'm like, holy crap. You're just going, what more could go bad? What What's the worst thing that can happen in your career, in your life? You know, wanting to be an actor, wanting to be a horror guy, a creature, do creature work. And then, and then the worst thing happens. So, but, you know, I mean, stuff like that happens in life. So you just got to keep moving on. I mean, I guess I could have just, I mean, I went back to work in the bars. I was working at the Jones Hollywood, which is a real popular yeah. uh, restaurant bar in Hollywood across from the Formosa Cafe and just went back to doing what I was doing and, you know, kept acting. I've been acting ever since. And, you know, maybe Michael Bay, I'm, I would love to apologize to him if I ever get to see him one of these days and say, I don't know if you remember me, but I want to apologize on, yeah and uh um and his film company there and i'm sure they hopefully they don't hold a grudge after 20 years but um yeah it's amazing that it's it's 20 years old that movie you know yeah is it but, when, when it comes to like auditioning for a role like that especially something that physical as the character of leatherface did you actually have to physically like move like how did you prepare for that like watching the old stuff of bob elmore and gunner and stuff like that like, but also make it your own in 2023 so was it like a you walk in the room like okay all of a sudden you're leatherface let's act through a kill scene so my thing it's it's my auditions is legendary and i'll tell you this i don't talk about it very often but they were going to hire a local hire in texas to play this part <clears throat> that's what i was reading I was like, how dare they? You know, I was so angry. They're going to hire some, they're going to find some bouncer in, in, in Texas. They're going to find some ex Dallas football player who blew out his knee. He's not playing anymore, but he's a big six foot eight monster. I'm like, this is terrible. What a waste because I mean, Leatherface just wasn't some big goon, you know, and, right. and to think and to hire some big goon to play him would have been just the worst thing in the world, in my opinion. So I saw one day I went in for a commercial audition. I saw, you know, there's five different rooms. It'll say Taco Bell, uh, Miller. I think it was there for a Miller Lite commercial, Miller Lite. And then I saw TCM and I'm like, it's got to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But they're they're not casting out here. They're casting in Texas. They cast their leads out here. But, they, you know, all the other stuff's going to be cast in Texas. So I call my commercial agent, commercial talent, Neil Kreppel, great guy. And I said, Neil can you call that lady and ask her that commercial casting director and ask her what's going on? Is that for Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And if they haven't hired Leatherface, can I come be put on tape? And I had booked something with her before. And he, and she called back and said, yes, and brought in tomorrow. So I went to Salvation Army, bought some giant suit that was there. And I was, I was big. I was 350 pounds at the time. I was very big. This thing didn't fit me well, but it looked good. I look big and I look like Gunnar Hansen, right? I look like a big meaty son of a bitch. Yeah. And I get in there and I go in and she goes, what do you want to do? I said, just roll the cameras. And I'm in this thing. And I said, Mr. Bay, I said, you do not want to waste this guy, this character on some local hire in Texas, for God's sakes. I was born to play this part. I said, you are doing a disservice to Gunnar Hansen and all the rest of the guys. If you just hire some jabroni out in Texas to play this part. And what a waste it would be. And then I, there was a little girl working the camera and I picked her up real quick and threw over my shoulder and she squealed, what do you do? Put me down. And I turned around and said, I'll see you in Texas. And then I walked off camera and she's like, and then she's that it. I said, that's it. 
And then we left, and the next day she called and said, Michael Bay thought you were funny. I said, got, you got the gig. That's and awesome. I was like, what? I mean, you know, that doesn't happen very often. But I took a chance, you know, and uh, that chance paid off at least for two months and a week and a half. Yeah. And I know we talked about it, about like the being behind the makeup and mask and stuff, but both your really famous horror, that and the crazies, the eyes, like they tell a story too. He's not just some hulking idiot, dumbass yeah. character. Like there, there's a reason why he's doing this. You kind of see that almost like a uh, like a sad dog that has it's been hit too many times type feeling. So it's just, it's awesome. Like using your eyes and stuff to hide behind a mask yet portray a character that isn't just some dumb Hulk. Yeah, I mean, listen. There's if you go into go into a role and you look at it like this is just some dumb guy. There's always something more than there's always something more than just it being some dumb guy. Yeah, he could be slow. Yes, he could be this, but there's a reason he does things, right? Yeah. Whether it's Leatherface, whether it's even when I got infected on the crazies, there was a you know I still had in the back of my mind. Well, I'm, there's a re we're hunters. It's what we do. Doesn't matter. We're hunting. This is our this this is what we live for. We live to hunt, whether it's deer season or, or whether it's it's humans, you know, whether it's Timothy Oliphant and his buddies. We're, we're, that's what we do. And that, you know, the craziest thing about the crazies was we had a scene which is I'm still mortified and so angry about it. We had a scene where I walk into the convenience store and they set it all up. And, you know, like at a 7-Eleven, all the doors were the cooler where all yes. the drinks are. So I come in with a shotgun and I look and they had set it all up where I'm going to hear something. And then they, they start running and they're running through that thing. And I'm shooting the doors. Why am I as they're running by and I'm shooting out all these doors, all the beer, all the stuff's exploding. And we never got to that part. And I was so excited for that thing. And they're like, I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to go shoot that. Now they're like, we're, we ran out of time. And I'm like, you set all the charges up. Everything's right. Don't, this would have been one of the great, for me at least, it would have been one of the crown jewels Yeah. in my acting and my career to have that on there. Just and a great I, sizzle I, reel. I, yeah. Oh my God, I was so ready for it. It would have been so cool. The doors exploding, the beer exploding, them running and, and just barely getting out of there. But, you know, in the end, we had a really good fight scene, me and Timothy underneath that truck. And yeah. I got lit on fire, got to do my first burn, you know, in a, in a movie and the late, great Chris Carnell, who was a oh, yeah. stuff man who passed away. Uh, my bloody Valentine. He was in the 3d. He was the minor in that. And he was a very, very famous stunt man. And, um, this is one of those things too, where we, this, I, we could talk about it now. He's not here and there's no one to get me in trouble or him in trouble, but they came up and they didn't really like my stunt guy. My guy was stunt double. I mean, he was new and he was a friend of mine too. He was a very accomplished actor, but he got into stunts and they just weren't digging him. And they said, you ever done a burn? And I said, of course. And then, okay, we would like, and then they walked off and then Chris comes to me and he goes, you ever done a burn? I said, no. And he goes, <laughs> he's like, They're, you're going to do a full burn what? here. And I'm like, and so he, he had probably 30 seconds to think about it. He either he goes and snitches on me says we're going to have to get a, a stunt double to do it or he goes all right i'm going to tell you what's going to happen and he said and i had been doing my fight scenes up until that point and he was very complimentary of me and he was like you're doing a really good job and he said all right let me tell you what's going to happen because the burn guy is going to be here in 15 minutes the guy that's the expert on the burns and he's going to so he walked me through it i did it 
you know, you never think that um, holding your breath for maybe 20 seconds, it's nothing, right? We used to do it as kids underneath yeah. the pool. Let's see who can hold their breath the longest. I probably could do a minute and a half back in the day. But holding your breath when you're on fire is a whole different thing, right? You're like, holy crap, how long was that? That was 12 seconds. Oh, my God, it seemed like five minutes. But, um, yeah, Chris was a great guy, and he, he gave me that opportunity, and the other took a chance, and it paid off and did very well. And the, the movie was great. It is definitely one of those hidden gems that people oh, yeah. haven't seen. It's not what, you know, people so the crazy. That was Romero's thing. It's gonna. I said it's nothing like George's first movie which was very political and i said this is a good movie great stunts great makeup robert hall almost human who passed away who's um it was an incredible makeup artist and fx guy did the makeup with this guy toby sells out of atlanta and it was just a and timothy oliphant and rada mitchell were great oh, actors and, and the story was solid and the kills were great and it's just a good movie. We, you know, we were set up for a part two, and I kept telling uh, Breck Eisner, our director, Michael Eisner's kid, and I said, Breck, you know, in part two, you could have that truck and have me burnt in the back of it, all like tied up, like, and then have Timothy Oliphant come across me. And then my eye pops, one eye pops open, you know, something cool, so I could get in the second part. But they, yeah. alas, never did part two. So I know we kind of talked about uh, your podcast and stuff. Um, but like, where can people find it? Like, how is it, what, how do you film it? Like, when does it release and stuff like that? So we do it and we try to do once a week. It's, um, uh, if you go to Facebook or you go to Instagram, doomsdays crypt doomsdays with an S crypt. Yep. That's my buddy, John. He does a lot of, uh, um, he does a lot of conventions. He's a very big horror guy, masks and the whole bit. And we, we go do a lot of conventions together and he sets up tables and whatnot, but he's a, he finds a lot of these artists that not many people know, mask makers, artists, uh, this guy, Michael Toth, who does a lot of artwork for me out of Pennsylvania, because you can only sell so much yeah. of the pictures, right? I can sell pictures at a convention, but it's the artwork that someone can do that can do the leather face, lost leather face thing, which in their way, which is pretty cool, whether it's on Funko Pops or it's on, you know, shirts or yeah. whatever it's on, you know, bowling pins, we can do all that stuff. And, we find all these artists and these guys and we give them a little bit of a voice and the new filmmakers, independent filmmakers, new directors, a lot of up and coming actors. And we sprinkle them in with some people that are yeah. seasoned actors, you know, and, but it's called shooting the shiz with DK and the swag. But if you go look up doomsday's crypt on Facebook or YouTube, and we, we, we try to film once a week. It's a, uh, it could be after a convention. It could be like, hey, I'm going yeah. to, uh, you want, you know, it could be like, hey, you call me and say, hey, uh, I want to do an hour tonight. And I'll go, yeah, let's do it. So what's the nothing set in stone? What's the, I mean, how many sledgehammers have you signed at a convention? So that, so that's great, right? So uh, I found these guys in Arkansas at Scared City Productions. And I was at a, a deal one day and he goes, you know what? I, I do, uh, I make these prop sledgehammers. And I was like, man that's that could be cool because people are bringing me sledgehammers to sign full and i can't ship them right i mean it's 40 pound sledgehammer right i can't ship like 20 or 30 of those things found these guys you know i sometimes will bring 10 to 20 of these i'll ship them to where i'm going they're very light you know they probably don't weigh more than i don't know a pound so if if that and um i sign a bunch man 
I've awesome. probably signed hundreds over the last, but it's a good gimmick. As we say in wrestling, it's a, it's something different. It's something, oh, hold on, stay right here. It's something you can hang up on your wall and yes. it's different than a picture. It's it tells a story. Yeah. It tells, and people go, oh, what, what are you doing with a bloody sledgehammer up on your wall? <laughs> hold on, let me grab it right here. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so look at this thing, man. Oh, I mean, that looks genius. like a full... Oh, there's some, yeah, there's some... Uh, it... That looks like... That, is a, that was what a full-size sledgehammer and What's that made out be. of? It, it, well, this is real wood. It's just so light. And I don't know what the composite is that he uses for the... God, that's genius. For the actual sledgehammer. But that thing, people, I always tell them, how strong are you? Go grab that at the table. And these people are always, like, nervous to pick it up. And I said, we only had to kill a few thousand armadillos to get that blood. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's cool. It's something different, right? I mean, I signed, I signed chainsaws, but I didn't use a chainsaw in the movie. I didn't get to that, that far, but there's only two guys that really have used the sledgehammer. That's me and, and Gunnar Hansen. You know, he used the, the shorter, you know, the, um, his, uh, his, uh, hammer that he yeah, used his mallet. mallet. Yep. Mallet. So, and then, which is great, is I got to meet Gunner at a convention with Dan Yeager, who was Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw yeah. 3D. And I got to go over and tell me he had no idea there was another guy that was in that movie that played Leatherface and that I slammed the door and all that. He goes, I thought that was the other guy. In fact, I was arguing with the other guy about that. I said, no, 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 that's, that's me. And I would never argue with you about anything. Uh, he was so nice. He was so complicated. You know, he's like, that's great. You know, that only, that's you and me are the only two guys ever slammed that door. And I was like, wow, never thought about it that way. And I was like, well, I appreciate it. You know, made me feel better. Yeah. Obviously about myself and my place in that little bit of history in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre history. And I said, well, I want to get a couple of Funko Pop sign and he wouldn't take my money. And I said, well, let me take the money. He goes, if you make me take the money, then leave. And I didn't want to leave. So I said, all right, you don't have to take the money. And I got to sit down with him and watch him be gracious, you know, for about an hour and a half. And he was such a great guy and such a nice man. And, you know, it's it's amazing that this franchise, but if those guys would have never, Toby Hooper, Gunner, and the rest of those folks wouldn't have done that movie and wouldn't have done it how to the how well they did it. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary on it, yes. how they shot it. It was just unbelievable and, and sure miserable for a lot of those folks shooting that thing. And if they wouldn't have done such a good job, there, you know, there would be no franchise. It just would have been, well, you know, just a, a horror movie that didn't make it. But it's it's, it's such a scary movie. And that franchise itself, I mean, it launched actors into like Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, Bill Mosley, oh uh, Jessica Biel with you. It's like. It's just crazy how those horror franchises. I mean, I love the movie Leprechaun. I never realized until I was older that's Jennifer Aniston, or like Leonardo DiCaprio in like uh, Critters Four, like all these obscure movies. Were just like, holy shit! Like actors were actors, and like they had to do these movies to get noticed. It's like, it just that's why I love the the horror franchises because it's just like all the actors I follow today all had a part of that, whether directing yeah, or it's... acting or producing. It's great. Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's one of my favorite posters because Grizzly, which was a movie. Oh, George Clooney. Well, now he did Grizzly 2. Oh. They never release. It's him, Charlie Sheen, 
Who's the girl? Who is it? Laura Dern. My wife yes. is talking. <laughs> and uh, Academy Award winner. Who's the Academy Award winner? Nurse Ratchet. Oh, uh, oh, Louise Fletcher. Yes, jeez. Are you kidding me? But the <laughs> only reason they released it part two, they had to piece it together because they didn't have the they didn't have enough film. The only reason they released it is because it has George Clooney, Charlie Sheen, and Laura Dern for five minutes in it or three minutes. That's the only reason it got released. And it is so bad. But I mean, oh. as a horror movie guy, I had to watch it anyways. Yeah, of course. And Academy Award winner, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Louise Fletcher is the star of that thing. So I had to watch it. But um, yeah, I'm a poster guy. We have hundreds of horror movie posters. And, you know, uh, we don't have a big enough house for them. And I, it costs so much to frame stuff nowadays that I just, uh, every once in a while, I'll open up a bin and I'll, you know, lovingly go through my posters and go, oh, look at the humanoids from the deep, yeah. you know. Uh, and I just go, oh. It's always like, funny just, when I, you see like, uh, like I, I love the movie The Howling, and so I have all like the posters. But then I was in Mexico City a couple of years ago and going through like this open air market type thing. And I saw a Howling poster, but the way they interpreted the movie and the original poster, I'm like, doesn't even look like a werewolf. But the fonts are all super rad and different. I'm like, it's just cool how creatively people could watch a movie. And be like this is what the poster is going to be in this country. It's fascinating. I love getting. Listen, there's nothing like because there's some. You can't get original posters anymore Correct. from some movies, and if you do, they it's you know a thousand bucks. People know that they're worth money, but you can get the Turkish edition yeah. from Turkey. You know the Howling Three from Turkey. You go wow, right. I'll, I'll take it. It looks good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it, it's a different artist, a different rendition of the poster. Yeah, I have an independent movie I filmed this year, which I'm real excited about. We can talk about because it's an independent, and it's awesome. uh, called Desert Fiends. And man, I'm I'm real excited about this. It's going to be the grossest. I keep telling them, I say, you're going to have to get a little sticker and put it on the DVD. It says the grossest horror movie in 50 years or 30 or whatever, the grossest horror movie ever. But so it's all about special effects, not AI, because there's stuff that a guy can do with his hands, an FX guy, a makeup artist that are uh, and and with an actor that are far better than anything you can create on a computer so real excited about that and i might i might kill um who, who do i kill what's her name babe i'm asking my wife courtney not courtney who's the girl i kill in desert fiends scout taylor compton i have to keep oh, going wow. my wife in the background so i may or may not kill scout taylor compton in desert fiends that's awesome Shot pre-strike, and uh, it's it's uh, it's very fun. Sean C. Phillips, who's a up-and-coming director, uh, he's he has a couple movies under his belt, but I think this is going to be the one that's going to set him over the top. So, yeah, it's it, look at I love the genre. I mean, what I like to be on a you know I've done three and a half men. Would I have loved to have been on that TV show forever? Yes, you know what I've done an episode of Sons of Anarchy. Would I've loved to have been on that yeah. show for a couple years? Of course. But comedy and horror, man, I love it. That's why I think with horror movies like Terrifier 1 and 2 recently, it feels like that. They become like this they pop culture of phenom, but people go to theaters and just like have a good time drinking and eat popcorn, just laughing and being enthralled by these characters. It's like 
it's only just blending of genres. I think that can have that way with people outside of like the big action spectacle franchises. People like myself, we see a movie like that comes out, even if it's a shitty, low budget Lionsgate does you want it type movie. We're going to the theater if it's playing and having a blast. Yes. Yeah, listen, that's that's the whole thing. I want to be in. I want to be. I want to be scared. I want to laugh, even if it's silliest thing in the world. Yeah, I want to throw away. Like, wanna... oh. Yeah, yeah. Now, Terrifier two, great guys, right? Oh, I've uh, because Dave, I'm on the Dave. convention circuit. I get to see Damien Leone, oh. the director, and um, David's awesome. David Howard Thornton is. Have you had him on yet? Yes, he's amazing. Uh, he's so good, and it's good to see these guys who people go, oh, they just came out of nowhere. No, no, no. Well, he's been doing this stuff a lot. Have you seen his Joker they've work? Been doing it. Yeah, yeah, they've been doing it a long time and put in the work. And thank goodness things just meshed at the right time for these guys. And gosh, if I would have known how big Terrifier two and how good it would have been. Oh. You know, and that was a crowd-funded. That, that was an Indiegogo crowd-funded movie. I would have been the first guy to go here. Take all my money, please. I want to. But Terrifier three, I'm really excited for these guys. I mean, who knows? They might. There might be five or six of these things, and I hope they get to ride it out. But I'm also interested to see what they do. You know, aside from Terrifier, right? I mean, correct. Damien Leone is a is a he's a great director. He's got a great mind. He's an FX guy, right? That's how yep. they obviously can keep the the budgets down on their movies because his company is doing all that good, gross stuff that you see in the movies. And David Howard Thornton is such a nice guy. We just uh, spent uh, you know four days together at a convention, and I got to sit right next to him, which is great. And I love to sit next to guys like that and watch how they interact with the fans. And he's a wonderful. Bill Mosley's another guy. Oh, yeah. You watch him how he interact and. And I've learned so much from like Bill watching Bill Mosley, uh, Doug Jones. Um, if folks don't know Doug Jones, you should. Oh, yeah. He's one of the prolific creature work guys and a great actor and a funny guy. Doug the Hug, we call him because he will hug. It could be 500 people in line. He will hug every single one of them. Now, I won't hug you, yeah. but I'll put my arm around you and give you a squeeze. But yeah, so it's a wonderful genre. I'm just, I'm blessed that. Um, I can keep doing this. I'm blessed that folks sometimes want to, you know, that I have a tiny bit of a name that I can get into, get into a yeah. horror movie and, you know, do well. So. No, I love it. Uh, before I let you go, Brett, like if people want to find you on social media and stuff, like I know you have a website, big swag, uh, but what Instagram, Facebook, like where do you want people to check you out if they want to see what you're up to? Yeah. I got the lost Leatherface on, on Facebook. Um, uh, or the big swag on Facebook and the big swag S C H W A G on Instagram. I love Instagram, Instagram. I didn't, I never did like it, but it's a it's hell tough. of a way to advertise yes. and they got great stuff. So, uh, Facebook or Instagram, come find me. And, uh, yeah, man, thanks a lot. You reached out. I remember I, I'm like, honey, I don't know who this guy is, but it looks like he interviews some really important people. And I don't know what the hell he wants to do. Talking yeah. It's, with uh, it's funny because me and Lee, when I recorded with Lee last year, like we hit it off and like he outside of what he's did with stunt acting, like he's his career is fascinating. Oh, sure. And uh I saw a picture of you and him kind of like a video interacting like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that guy looks super familiar, but like I'm not familiar with the name. And then obviously once I saw the crazy, I was like, oh shit, I know who this is. And uh yeah, that's why I reached out because I'm about I think for me, would I love to have like the Robert Englund's, uh I mean, I've had the Kate Hodder type people, but like you think of these people that 
they traditionally think are like the big, big stars of horror or action. Yeah, I love them, but I love talking to the stuntmen and women or the Tom Savini's, like the makeup people, or like these people that are like a huge part of making these iconic characters and portrayals so legendary. That that's where those are the stories. Like the the stories Lee can tell me with like the stunt work and them goofing off on scream sets or predator movies. Oh, yeah. Just do it. Just I could like I wish there's more podcasts of gentlemen like yourself just talking about that because it's it's like it's very cathartic but also like very healing for me. So I'm just like yeah, I, right. I, well, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I, here's one last thing for you. So on the crazy, since you like the movies, you know we'd be in that makeup for sometimes ten hours. And you got a guy that comes around and gets like 50 bucks an hour to every 10 minutes to come drop eye drops in your eye. I'm like, how much you get? I'm like, I'm in the wrong gig. I need to be able to do this where we're dropping the eye drops in. But we're in Lenox, Iowa, a small town. It's, it's like a block and a half long. And we rented out the whole town for, you know, a week to film part of the crazies there. And the only place that wouldn't close was the bar. So I'm in makeup for 10 hours. My 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 co my one of my actors is with me. I'm like, man, let's go get a beer. And he goes, we can't do that. And I'm like, and I tell the second idea. So I'm going in there to get a beer. He's like, you're gonna get me fired. I said, my phone's on. Just text me if they're looking for us. We'll come right out. Bars packed, forty people in there. Right? We walk in, and then you've seen the makeup. Oh yeah. Uh, the cover of the crazies. That's how I walked in this bar. Everybody looked up for a second, then went back to what they were doing. The bartender said, what do you need? I said, I need two Budweiser's. Grabbed those Budweiser's, sat at the bar in full makeup, drank them. I said, okay, let's go out. And then we went back out. They called me like 15 minutes later. All right, let's go. Let's get this scene done. But I mean, <sighs> that's fun stuff. Yeah, Lee Lee is a great guy. Been in this business so long doing the stunts and all this crazy stuff. And great guy. And uh, I, I love uh I love palling around with them. We were in uh, Denver last week, and we will be in Hampton, Virginia, the 16th yeah. and the 17th, Haunted Screams Expo together. And we have a good time. He's a great guy. Nice. You know, he, he he's not a guy that goes out. We're not kids, right? And we don't go out and let's go to the bar. Let's go to the bar scene now. You know, we, we don't do that. We're both married. We love to go out there, say hello, as he says, kiss him posters, sign him babies, and just have a good time and you know, and and we're fans of the genre. So I get to see people, you know, the David Howard Thorntons, and I get to go up and say, I'm really a big fan and BS with those guys. And so for me, the conventions are, it's like very cool. It's all like senior family. Yeah. Know? Well, uh, Brad, this has been awesome. Thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you, buddy. We'll have to do it again soon. Maybe I'll get you out here with Lee. We just really dig deep in the weeds. What what state are you in? Can I'm we Massachusetts. Say that? Massachusetts. I'm going to be in Taunton, 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 Mass. Taunton, oh, wow. Mass. I don't know how far you are from there, but I'm going to be there October 14th, 15th, 16th weekend, oh, Monster awesome. Expo. So if you got a chance, come down, I'll yeah. put you on the guest list or I got to fly through Boston. So maybe we can enjoy a tasty beverage or something yeah. on the Get way in or the way out. Buy some sledgehammers at Home Depot and hit it up. Let's go. Come on. Awesome. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, buddy. Thank you, bro. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking camera. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spear Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPEARTALK15, you get 15% off your first order, or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through nice fucking candles. Nice fucking candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time. 
maybe more if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. You ask me about the wick, it's a double wick for even burning, which is amazing. And uh, they come with three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles, but if you do like them, this scent are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles. They are the candle company for Spear Talk. And if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.